Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Christmas gives us so many ways to express our love and our care for the one who cares for us, and that's Jesus. In our songs, we worship him in that way, in the expression of our drama. All those things really celebrate. They chime out, they ring, that we are living in right now in a joyous time where we celebrate Jesus Christ, the Christ child. Our theme this Christmas season is return to Bethlehem. And if you remember last weekend, we heard the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, an older couple that God used to bear and raise a child named John. This was God's way of preparing the way for Jesus Christ. It would be this child that would grow up. He would be the one that would have the message of repentance. He was the one who baptized. And he was the one who set people on the right journey to follow Jesus. His name, John, John the Baptist. Today, as we move closer to the town of Bethlehem and the Christmas morning, I want you to listen to another story. A story that many of you have heard. A story that you're familiar with. In fact, it's an ancient story. But today, what I pray happens in your heart is this story would bring new freshness to your life. That you would experience Christmas like you've never experienced Christmas before. This story is about a young lady. A young lady who God saw fit to bless with a baby they would call Jesus. Her story begins in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open there with me. If not, we have it on the overhead for you. But it's Luke, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 38. And I want you to listen to something. I want you to listen to this wonderful encounter between Mary and the angel Gabriel. Beginning at verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled And then the angel left her. What a wonderful story. 
I like what verses 26 and 27 say. It says this, and I'll repeat it again to you. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. What I want to do is just walk you through a few things that stand out in these verses that we've read here this morning. And and in this verse, if, if you understand, you see what's going on. We move in Luke's narrative from Jerusalem to Nazareth six months after Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. What he does now is he appears to Mary. Now think about this just for a moment. This is Gabriel, the chief messenger of all angels. He visits two people. He visits an older man who's beyond his years for childbearing. And he greets and visits a younger woman who's before her years in childbearing. And what I recognize there, and when I see that, God includes everyone. I think this story just tells me simply that he loves all generations who commit to him, who submit to him, who walk humbly before God. You see this illustrated in our story. But there's something else that you see here. If you'll notice verse 27, in verse 27, two times in one verse, Mary is called a virgin. Now the claim that Jesus entered the world by virgin birth has over the years and even today provoked so many kinds of responses. And if you'll permit me, I want to talk about this just for a moment because I'm not sure we fully understand what's going on here. I know that through the Christmas seasons, it's been rare that I've had opportunity and even felt led to talk about this, but I want to talk about it today. Because I think out there, and the best I can tell, there are four kinds of people, four groups of people, and the way they, they view the virgin birth is different. And I want to tell you some of the ways that people look at the virgin birth today. The first is this, is there are some who just argue the virgin birth is absolutely impossible, that it never took place. It doesn't because these people do not believe in miracles. So how they explain this historically is they say that Mary just got in trouble, she got pregnant out of wedlock, and now she blames God for that. God becomes her scapegoat. That's one way people see the virgin birth. Now there's a second group who profess to be Christians, acknowledge that miracles do happen, but for whatever reason they believe this particular miracle did not take place. They say that the word virgin was applied to Mary and it was in the Middle Eastern time in that day. Virgin meant just a young woman, a young woman like Mary. That's how they explain it. With this kind of wink, this kind of grin, they dismiss the virgin birth altogether. I'm a little confused here with this kind of group. There are more people in this second group than you might imagine. More people that you may care to give thought to, including, listen to me, including a number of clergy, pastors, people who say they represent Jesus Christ. I'm a little baffled by it all. Because if you affirm the Bible, you're signing up to acknowledge more than a few supernatural events. And let me say this, as supernatural events go, the virgin birth is not that huge. I mean, when you compare it to the resurrection, you compare it to the parting of the Red Sea, 
You compare it as the Greek narrative reads, ex nihilo, God creating something out of nothing. When you compare the virgin birth to those miracles, it, it just doesn't stand up altogether. It's interesting. I don't understand why some people would take, they would take an editor's pen and draw a line through the virgin birth right here. Because once they've picked up their editor's pen, how do people in this camp decide what to leave in and what to mark out? If someone is willing to omit the virgin birth, they likely have no idea how profoundly they are undermining the whole Christmas narrative. Because you see, it's the virgin birth where it all begins on planet earth. It's the place that that spawns Jesus into life. And he lives a life perfectly without sin. And then he goes and he goes through his passion and his suffering for you to redeem us, to ransom us. And then that life was put on the cross and crucified. And then three days later, that life was resurrected. But it all began by that virgin birth. It's interesting. There's another group of people, a third camp of people that affirm the virgin birth simply because it's in the Bible. They read the Bible and they say, well, if it's there, that's great. Let's move on. And I want to say this. I I think it's important to look at the Bible and say, hey, I I believe this. I, I know it in my heart. But it's also important that we give due diligence to the word of God. Why do you believe in that? The Apostle Paul says, hey, be ready to give an account. Peter says, hey, be ready to to give an account. My question to all of us here today is, do you know why you believe this? Do you know the history here? Do you know the things I think God wants you to dig into? And what I'm doing is I hope I'm provoking and stirring up a few things in your own life that you'll go back and open the Bible because I love it when people come the next weekend and they say, hey, Ron, I looked in that scripture. You challenged me. These are a few things I've come up with. Good. I love that. And here we can do the same with a virgin birth. This is the fourth group. The fourth group is the group I I hope and I pray that, that I'm part of, and I want to encourage you, if you're not, to be part of this group. The last group are those that not only affirm the virgin birth, but they also understand how critical it is to the gospel. They understand the role of the virgin birth. And then you look at verse 28. Look at it with me just for a moment. It says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I want to take just a few moments and explain something to you so, so you have a better understanding when you leave this place. I think there's been a tendency among Protestants to play down the role of Mary, but this verse tells us that she was highly favored. This is what I think. I think there are some traditions that have exalted Mary far beyond my barriers and I think the guidelines of Scripture where she becomes equal with Jesus, equal with God. I think that that's taking it past the scripture. But I also know that the Protestant church in years past, centuries past, have reacted and they usually overreact when they hear something like this and they give no due diligence or credit to Mary as someone who lived a life that was exemplary. You know where I want to be? I want to have balance here. And I'm asking, praying that we all have balance I think here's where we need to find balance with Mary's role as the mother of Jesus. She was highly favored. Listen to this. Highly favored among women, not highly favored above women. That's a good place to be. 
You see, this is the amazing thing about her life. God trusted this beautifully pure young woman to bear his son. That's an amazing and awesome responsibility. To be a mom like that, to be a mom that would watch this child grow up. And over the years, she would see the things that would go on in his life and that she would have to walk through things that we couldn't even imagine. The profound agony she must have felt during the Passion Week and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then the total adulation when she knows that he is risen and he's risen indeed. Amazing. What a mother. What amazing lady. I'm sure that she struggled. Being a person of sin, can you imagine raising someone who's sinless? That maybe caused some problems in the house. <laughs> you know, I grew up looking at my life knowing I was a sinner, and I'd look at my parents, even though I know they're sinners, I didn't see that all the time. See, this got reversed here. You have a child who's sinless, and you have parents who are sinners, and and Mary struggled. She had to struggle with those years. We don't know altogether what's said about her from the time that Jesus is a child. He's 12 and then we, we lose track of him scripturally. And then we pick him up again in the three years of his, his life here, his ministry. Can you imagine what she had to deal with? But can I say this? She needed to ask God to forgive her of her sins. The same way you ask God to forgive you of your sins. Again, let me make this very clear. There are some traditions that have put Mary in a place where she's sinless. But it really doesn't work. Because if Mary's sinless, that means her mother must be, and her mother, and her mother, and her mother. And then we've got some problems because the only sinless person that has walked this planet is named Jesus Christ. That's the only one. Mary needed God's salvation. Just like you need God's salvation. And that salvation was for all people, and it was through her son, Jesus Christ. And then you look at verse 29. It says this, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You know, like anyone who goes face to face with an angel and an archangel no less. I like what the Bible says here. She was troubled. You bet she was troubled. I mean, I'm looking at this and thinking she was troubled. Can you imagine, Annette and I were talking about this the other day in the kitchen and thought, she might have just seen the angel before she heard the angel altogether. Listen, anytime you come face to face with the supernatural, anytime you see an angel like the angel Gabriel, there, there's something that happens in your heart. Anytime the supernatural touches the natural, it always creates fear. I like what this says here. It says, she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Can you imagine seeing an angel and thinking, okay, why is he here? And she knows about this angel. She knows that part of her family had been ministered to. A message was given to, to Gabriel to give to Zachariah and Elizabeth. She's heard this. The first time Gabriel shows up in scripture is in the book of Daniel. So she's read the Old Testament. And now Gabriel is right there. Wow. Wow. You know what, this tells me, it, it tells me some amazing things about her. I think because she was wondering what, what's the message going to be, right there is an indication, evidence to me that she was a very humble person. Because at that moment, she didn't know if she was going to get good news or bad news. She was wondering. And I think just because she wondered that, 
it tells us something about her character. That she was willing to be corrected. That she was willing to hear a a message that could reform and change her life. Little did she know she was going to hear this message. And I'm thinking she probably was very thankful that it was good news. Because anytime an angel visits you, you would want it to be good news. And I think she felt that here. And, and, I, and I like this. I like what this old fellow said a long time ago. He says, you know, I, I never believed in ghosts either until I saw one. You know, and sometimes you don't believe in miracles until one happens to you. Sometimes you can say, well, I don't believe in this. I, I don't believe in this or that. And then it happens to you and you go, oh, okay. Now I have a different spin on everything. I have a different spin even on life. Listen, when you see an angel, you have the right to be afraid. Verses 30 through 33 say this. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I love this. I love this because it's so straightforward. The angel Gabriel has something to say. It's his job to be a messenger, and he doesn't fool around here. He makes it very clear what this child is going to be and how this child is going to live their life. And this speaks literally. Listen to me. This is talking about the literal nature of Jesus Christ. Some people will take this and say, oh, all this is figurative. Yeah, it's symbolic. Listen, this is literal. Let me tell you what the angel said. He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, literally. You are to call him Jesus, literally. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high, literally. The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father, literally. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, literally. His kingdom shall never end, literally. You can believe in it, you can trust it. I want to say this, there needs to be clarity today about this message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had a sad conversation with someone about a year ago. And this person was defending another minister who was pulling back on the deity of Christ. He was hedging his bets about the deity of Christ so it would fit his own theology. And I looked at this man and I said, you cannot do that. Jesus Christ is fully God and he's fully man. You cannot do that. And the man looked at me and he says, well, over the 23 years that that you've preached, do you think there's been misunderstandings in your preaching? And I said this. I said, there have been misunderstandings in my preaching when it comes to things like maybe eschatology. I'm still trying to figure that out. I've flipped around on pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. Hey, you know, Sorry. You know, it's just what you do. But can I say this? Listen to me carefully. I have never, ever communicated any misunderstanding about the deity of Jesus Christ and his mission to earth. His mission is this. Let me make it very clear to you. His mission is this. He said, I have come to seek and save those 
that were lost. And you're part of that ransom. You're part of that redemption. He came to seek and save the lost. And anyone who wants to turn that or twist it or make it anything else is not the gospel that I know. It's not the gospel of the Bible. Listen, it's central to who we are in Jesus Christ. He came. He lived his life perfectly. He died on the cross. He rose again. And we have everlasting life because of Jesus Christ. Please understand that. Listen, understand that. Jesus Christ is the main thing. And we will keep him the main thing. And I pray over the years you've never ever had any misunderstanding to where I stand as a preacher of the gospel when it comes to the salvation of Jesus Christ in your life. Would you make me feel better? Could you say, I understand? <laughs> now I feel better. I'm so glad you understand this because it's important we understand this. Look at what verse 34 says. It says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since, since I'm a virgin? <laughs> I like this. Do you know who questioned the virgin birth first? It wasn't some theologian. Mary was the one who questioned the virgin birth first. It was Mary that did that. And here's the angel's answer. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I like this. But I was reading this the other night and I came across the problem and I want to present the problem to you. Because I thought, wait a minute, I didn't see this. I should have seen this before. And the first time I broke it out was last night. And I want to bring this to your attention because the angel Gabriel, if we remember, visited someone else in verse 18 of the same chapter. And that person asked a question just like Mary. And the angel Gabriel picked up the mute button and he muted the guy for a long time. And then Mary asked the question. If you look at almost the same question. And the angel says, oh, I love you. I want to give you an explanation. What's wrong there? You know, I, I had an idea. And my idea was this, because I, 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 let me throw it out to you. My idea was this, that, and, and it's my belief all along, is that God loves women more than he loves men. And that's just what I was thinking here. <laughs> but I knew that theology wouldn't go over with you. So I had to find something else. Something else that's true and right. And I can tell you what's true and right here. Like, can I tell you what it is? If you look at this, it's interesting to me. Very interesting because Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? And he gets rebuked. Mary asked the angel, how could this be? And she gets an explanation. Here's the difference. Zechariah was questioning if it would even ever happen. He was doubting God. In that it would happen. He would say, Is this, this can't really even happen. Mary doesn't question whether it's going to happen or not. You can tell here she believes it's going to happen. But she just says, how? How is this going to happen? And then she's given the news how it's going to happen. And she says, everything's right. Be it to me, Lord. Thank you for touching this humble maidservant. There's a difference. Listen, I want to say this. 
When God speaks to you, he will make it happen. Now listen, I don't know how. Mary didn't know how until God told her through Gabriel. But when God gives you a promise, when he speaks to you, when he sets your life on a course and brings those words that you need, he will always come through with what he says he's going to do. Don't know when, don't know how altogether, but he will. And I thank the Lord, I thank the Lord for that. You see, no man had anything to do with this birth of Jesus. Mary is told that she is not bringing a sinner into the world, but she's bringing someone who's holy into the world. We're talking about the virgin birth of the one who is eternal. That is God himself. And I love the way the gospel writer John puts it. In John chapter 1, he opens the book and he says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John doesn't write this. He doesn't say in the beginning Jesus was created. He didn't say, well, after a while, Jesus came along. He doesn't say that. Jesus has been, he is today, and he always will be. In John 17, it says, before the foundations of the world, he was. Philippians 2, the apostle Paul says, Jesus was God himself in heaven, enjoying the glory of heaven. And Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3 says, he was someone without father or mother, without beginning of days, and without the end of life. He is eternal. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, do you know why this baby's going to be called the son of God? Because he is the son of God. (laughs) I love that. I like what the word says here. Remember, remember who's writing this. It's important. You have to remember that it's Dr. Luke, a, a physician, somebody who is a professional observer, somebody who pays attention to detail, and it's no accident that he was commissioned by the Holy Spirit to write this narrative because he, more than any of the other gospel writers, takes more time to get to the birth of Jesus than anyone else. And the reason why, he's saying to you, here are the details that you need to know, and I've investigated everything to the last crossing of the T and dotting of the I. Remember that Dr. Luke approaches his gospel from a scientific point of view. And what does he state? He states that he has examined Jesus of Nazareth. He has looked at his life. He's paid attention to every detail. And his findings are this. He is God. That's what he's telling us. Verses 36 and 37, it says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. And then she goes on and says, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I like this. Verses 36 and 37. You have to remember that the birth of John the Baptist is a miraculous birth, but it is not a virgin birth. So when you face difficult times in life, what do you need to hear? What are the things that encourage you? And I I think there's something in this passage that would really encourage me. Somebody who knew what they were saying. Somebody who had gone through a difficult time like me to come to me and say this. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I love people who believe that. They live their life that way. They trust in God. And that's exactly what was going on here. 
the Lord said through Gabriel, for no word from God will ever, ever fail. Do you know that about your life? That God has ransomed you, he's brought you to this place? You know, here are a few thoughts that I come up with and come to mind when I hear this declaration that he is the God of the impossible. Here it is, nothing is impossible with God, but there's a great deal that's impossible with me. (laughs) There's a great deal that's impossible with you. It's amazing how God works with us. You know, we're messed up. We got problems. And God looks at you and he says, I love you. This is the amazing thing about God. Can I tell you the amazing thing? Is he sees that we're messed up. He loves us. And then if we surrender to him, he takes all our messed up stuff and he heals us. And he makes us right. And he gives God the glory and you're whole. That's an amazing God. Because I know what's in my heart. I know that it's broken. And I know the Lord says, I want to take care of that. Surrender to me. Give that to me. And I'll take your brokenness and I'll make it right. That's how God works. That's what he does in our lives. Here's something else I've observed and something else that come to mind is that God is not to blame when something doesn't work out in my life or my circumstances. Can I say this? Listen. How, <clears throat> how do we expect, because this is usually the way it is, how do we expect to not seek counsel, to not look at God's word, to not even check in with God when we make a decision and that decision goes south immediately and the first thing we do is blame God and God's going, hey, I didn't have anything to do with it. You never asked me. You never even talked to me. Listen, can I say this? Blaming God for your stuff will never get you anywhere. (laughs) It doesn't work. I've tried. I've tried to blame God and, and for whatever reason I stay in the same place. I don't grow And I think the reason is, is I'm not owning up. You see, when I own up to God and look God in the face and he says, oh, good, finally, and I surrender to him, there are wonderful things that happen in my life. He's not to blame. He's to praise and give glory. And here's something else. God is not, listen to this, listen to this. God is not obligated to do everything believers want him to do. (laughs) It's amazing what we do. We have these contracts. Somewhere we pull them out of our back of our pocket and we say, hey God, would you sign this contract because this is everything that I really want you to do. And God says, wait a minute. This isn't about me signing your contract. This is about you signing my contract. And by the way, my contract has already been signed in blood. It's already been taken care of. That's my contract. Are you gonna follow my contract or your contract? Because I can tell you this, when you write a contract, it stinks. Because everything in that contract is about you. Everything in that contract is selfish. Everything in that contract is full of pride. Everything in that contract is contrary to the life that God wants you to live. But when you sign the contract that God has for you, then you live a purpose life. You live a full life. You live an abundant life because you followed him. That's amazing. I know, I, know, I know people do this. They say, well, Lord, if I do this, then this is the outcome that I want. This, this is where I want this to go. I want this to be the kind of outcome. Listen, God isn't interested in your outcomes. By the way, you can't do anything to control those outcomes. You can try as you will, but you cannot do a thing to control those outcomes. And I want something to be clear here today, something that you understand. You know what God has called me to do? God has called me to go and make 
disciples. I'm kind of excited about that because it's in the Bible. He says, go and make disciples. And I want to say something. I found this out. When I worry and try to manipulate the outcome, I stop making disciples. Isn't that interesting? But when I'm busy about making disciples, not concerned so much with the outcome, there's amazing things that happen. I put my head down. I, you know, I don't even have time to try to manipulate all those outcomes when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Have you ever noticed that? When you're busy about the Lord's work, you don't even have time to worry about the outcomes because you're busy about making disciples. That's what God has called me to do. He's called me to make disciples. And I know this. Let me tell you what can happen. If I'm not worried about the, the outcome, if I'm not trying to project and manipulate and get everybody to believe what I believe, you know, you, you know we've done that before. When I just put my head down and I look at saying, God, I want to make disciples. I don't want to manipulate the outcome whatsoever. I don't want to do anything like that. Do you know what happens is the Lord has given amazing glory through that. And when I do that, you know what one of the outcomes could be? It could be revival. And everyone loves that. Say amen. Revival. But if I'm making disciples, you know another outcome? I could be thrown in prison. Don't say amen to that. <laughs> you see, when people are busy doing what God has called them to do, they don't have time to start projecting and be prognosticators and all that kind of thing. That's out of the word of God. It's not even in the word of God. But what we want to do is make disciples. That's what God has called us to do, and I want to be busy about that. Here's what verse 38 says. Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I love that. This verse reveals Mary's heart to do the will of God. She's not concerned with the outcome here. What she did is she said, I've heard what you've said, and I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I follow you as a humble servant of the Lord. Now that Mary has humbly submitted to God's word, she would begin this 33-year journey of being the mother of Jesus. I can't imagine. I said this earlier. I can't imagine what she must have gone through, what she must have felt. I mean, all the agony, all the heartache, and then the joy of seeing where God was leading her son. I mean, I, I live with a mom. She's a good mom, and she, she cares about all the details, details that... I, I miss, I confess. And I thought, well, now the kids are gone and what's gonna happen? Now she's kind of worried about the grandkids and, and them coming up and that's what moms do. Moms have a heart for that, they pray. I'm married to a great mom. But can you imagine, can you imagine Mary? <laughs> Amen, thank you. Can you imagine what Mary went through? Great mom. Some of the things she had to, to feel and experience, seeing her boy get beat up like he did, seeing, seeing him get taunted and spit on, and she was there. How much agony she must have gone through. And the Bible says that I, I see her, the Bible shows us that she was someone who submitted to that process. That's a humble heart, don't you think? That's an amazing heart. Can I say this? The resurrection of Jesus proves his virgin birth. I've said it, and I stand by it. You cannot deny the virgin birth and believe the resurrection or vice versa. 
God can do miracles through the humble. Please hear that about the story. And I think this. I think a person who has hope has humility. Did you know that? Every person that I know that has hope has a humble heart. And the reason they, are, that they have hope is because of their humility. They don't hold on to anything. When you're humble, you, you, you give away your pride. When you're humble, you give away your arrogance. When you're humble, you, you surrender to God and you give away your selfishness. And when you're humble, you're, you're full of hope. The people that I know that are full of hope are humble people. And maybe today you're wondering, why am I hopeless? Let, let me lead you a little bit here. Let me give you a clue. It, it may be because you haven't surrendered to the Lord. It may be because you're holding on to your stuff. Listen, when you surrender to the Lord, you know what? You know what's going to replace all your stuff? It's going to be hope. You will be full of hope. Walk humbly before the Lord, and he will fill you with that hope, with his spirit. Would you bow your head with me? And I'm going to invite our, our care team in just a moment to take their places and our worship team to come forward as well. What I want to do right now is just <clears throat> extend an invitation. If you're someone here today and you've not experienced that hope that's found in Jesus Christ because you haven't, you haven't surrendered to him, you haven't made him Lord of your life, today there's an invitation to you to be someone who follows Christ, to be a follower of Jesus. And I hope that's you. I hope today if you never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, today you would say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. Today with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm asking everyone in this place to pray this prayer with me. And if you're here today and your purpose, your intention is to receive Jesus, would you do this? Would you pray this prayer? Pray it with understanding that you're receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then after we pray, still with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm going to ask that you just lift your hand. I'm doing that not to call you out, not to embarrass you. Be very clear about this. It's to make a confession. When we lift our hands, we're making confession. And Jesus says this, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So the lifting of hand is a confession that you make to Jesus Christ. Everybody follow me in this prayer, would you? Dear Jesus, I ask you to come in my heart today. Forgive me of my sins. Because today, Lord, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. That you've saved me perfectly through your blood. You've forgiven me of my sins. And you've given me abundant life. I receive all of that today. In Jesus' name. Still with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer today to purposefully receive Jesus in your heart, would you just lift your hand right where you are make that confession? Good, 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 good. Thank you. Just keep your hands up just for one moment. Thank you for being so obedient and diligent. Thank you. Just keep your hand up for just a moment until we get something to you. And then you'll know when you get that, you can put your hand down. 
but I just thank you for that. Several of you just acknowledging, you're confessing today that you believe what you've just said, that you believe in the prayer that states that you are now surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Thank you for doing that. That takes faith. That really does. That takes courage. And I thank the Lord for that today. I really do. Now what I'm going to ask you to do, for those that lifted your hands, you walk in that. The old has gone, the new has come. Just walk in that. For those that lifted your hands, I want you to do something with just for a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Just look at me. Good. Thank you. That's a great decision. The Lord's honoring that today. The old is gone, the new has come. And you rejoice in that. Wow, what a blessing. What God has done in your life over here, it's a blessing. He's removing obstacles. He's making a way for you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Believe in him. Trust in him. Thank you for your courage and your obedience today to receive Christ in your heart. Father, I thank you for repentance that we see here in people's lives today. That willingness to follow Jesus. Thank you for being willing to follow the Lord. The willingness just to show up in your presence. To be there. To be available. Just like Mary. She has made herself available. Let that be true about our lives. And especially those that lifted their hands today. They're saying they're available to you. For you to work in their heart. In Jesus name we pray. And we say amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Thank you.